Alright, hello there everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host. First up, thank you as always for listening. If you would please interact with the product a little bit, if at all possible. Like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, any and all of it is helpful. If you've done all that, uh, please share. Uh, be that Facebook... Uh, you know, whatever your f- social media platform of choice happens to be, or your people in your real life that you know that you think would be interested in the show, tell them about uh, the show, point them in our direction. That's really all I can ask of you, sir. Thank you very, very much, as always, for all the support that you lend to the program. All right. Tonight, on the agenda, UFC 277. Uh, wasn't great on paper, pretty top-heavy, and... Uh, wound up, I think, overperforming relative to expectations. I'm, this is not an all-time great event, but the they avo- this event avoided some serious uh, potential pitfalls. I mean, again, not perfect, but uh, better than it was on paper, I think. Uh, also coming up, UFC on ESPN 40. We will have a preview of that event, and that one, yeah, that's a little bit of a doubter. But we will go over that. And uh, news, such as it is, news of the week, uh, not a whole lot. I think there's only a rule change, potentially, that I wanted to touch on. So and that's all I've got at the moment. But, of course, you know, as we record, things might break. We'll see what happens. All right, let's jump in with UFC 277. Main event for the women's bantamweight title, Amanda Nunes reclaims her belt. She batters Juliana Pena for five rounds, winning a unanimous decision 50-45, 50-44, and 50-43. Uh, commentary was not happy with the 50-43. I can see it. I shouldn't say commentary. I think Joe Rogan in particular was... Uh, or Was it Cormier? Rogan and Cormier are entirely too like-minded in some of these respects. Um, they just kind of create a feedback loop. So, uh, forgive me if I forget which of them reference that point first. I think it was Cormier, because he brought it up like as Rogan was coming back from interviewing Nunes. Uh, 50-43 is acceptable to me. It's It wasn't mine. Doing it live, I was 50-45, with the caveat that by the end of the fight, thinking back on it, round two really should have been a 10 I mean, Amanda Nunes got three knockdowns in that round. Like That, sh- that should have warranted a 10-8. Uh, that, that was my bad. I think you could go a 10-8. I think it was the third was the other one that maybe you could make the argument. I don't know. Maybe the first if you wanted to give her credit for certain knockdowns. First one, no. I'm not sure. Maybe you couldn't go fourth. I don't think you could. In in good conscience, I do not think you could go with the fourth round. Um, Then again, maybe the fifth. Let me look up the official scorecards and uh, double-check what the judges went on that one. Yeah, officially, Judge Doug Crosby gave Nunes a 10-8 in the second and the fifth. Uh, I wouldn't quite go to 10-8 in the fifth, but, like I said, I think that's defensible. Uh, Saldomato was 50-45, and Jacob Montalvo... Uh, excuse me, Saldomato was 50-44, but the 10-8 in the second, which... Again, I really... That was on me. I really should have got that one right. Uh, Montalvo was 10 nines across the board. That's what I did live, so I can't clown on the guy for it. But I do think it's wrong. Uh, the media scores, as they were released, yeah, the vast majority are 50-44. An equal number of 50-45s and 50-43s, actually. But yeah, 50-44 is, again, kind of the wide consensus on that one. Uh Amanda Nunes came out southpaw, which uh, led to an interesting tweet on the <laughs> on the broadcast, actually. It was near the end of the fight, I think. It might have been um, at the end, actually, like after the decision was read and whatnot. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko said, you know, it was nice to see Nunes basically copy my striking style. And then something very, you know, positive. But it's kind of funny because given how much of Valentina's striking style is, like, slip back, check right hooks... That, that's kind of the majority of what Nunes did here, believe it or not. I, uh, I don't think that was 
there's a little bit of a self-burn there going on with Valentina that I don't think she intended, but I do think it was a somewhat accurate observation, believe it or not. Um, Pena never got a really good read on how to deal with the southpaw. Uh, she kept the first round was all about her getting check hooked, just constantly getting clipped coming in. Second round, she tries blitzing a bit more. In fact, there's one kind of funny slow mo that was replayed, and it's, it made the rounds on your know, social media and whatnot. It's Nunez marching forward, or excuse me, it's Pena marching forward, elbows flared out, punch, 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 head on the center line. Um, and Nunez you know, fades back, plants, and fades back, takes an angle, plants, and drills her with a right hand that just completely sits her down. This is, I mean, a friend of the program, Andrew Graham, made this observation, so I'm going to mimic it here. Um, yeah, that particular striking sequence made me double-check uh, Pena's corner for Edmund Tarverdian. Like, it was that bad. <laughs> it's not good. Um, once once Nunes had banked the first three rounds, uh, she started wrestling a bit more. Now, the fourth round, a lot of top control. She landed some good elbows, cut up Pena a little bit. But Pena also had a couple of decent uh, sub-attempts in the fourth. She had an, I think it was the fourth where she had an armbar that actually got it wasn't as close as commentary kind of made it out to be, but it was a lot closer than a lot of her other attempts from that round. Uh, but Nunes was able to evade. Um, she landed some nasty elbows. She battered Pena's face. Man, Pena had like three different cuts. Uh, one up by the hairline, kind of around the left temple. Didn't look too bad. It wasn't good, but it didn't look too bad. The one more like in the center. Again, it's up by the hairline, but it's kind of centered on the forehead. Um, that was a pretty gnarly gash. Um, that one opened up, uh, not necessarily in volume, but it split wide. Like, that's, that was a bad, that's a pretty bad cut. And then she had another one around the right eye. Uh, she was all lumped up and bruised up. Uh, to Pena's credit, you know, Nunes, Nunes had some pretty serious swelling around her right eye. Her southpaw offense seemed to be well tailored to dealing with Nunes, or with, with Pena. But her defense wasn't quite there, and Pena was uh, was able to catch her on occasion. And yeah, her right eye was swelling up. In fact, it was almost closed by the time she got to the post-fight presser. So it's not like... When I say that Nunes battered her, it's not like Pena was completely out of it. I think the objection to the 50-43 is more that that scorecard doesn't tell the story of the fight. I would agree that it doesn't, but... The scorecard's job is not to reflect the story of the fight. The scorecard's job is to reflect who won which rounds and by how much. And sometimes you can have a competitive fight that has a couple of 10-8 rounds thrown in there. That's just kind of the nature. That happens in boxing all the time, partially because boxing, if you get knocked down, it's an automatic 10-8. And so there's, again, there's a little bit of uh, diciness there in, in, in boxing. But it does happen in MMA, too, like, I mean, the first uh, the first title fight between Frankie Edgar and Gray Maynard had a 10-8. And you you might say, well, sure, but ultimately the draw reflected the story of the fight. Sort of. But you, you can have those kinds of fights. Uh, I give Juliana Pena a boatload of credit for her toughness. Yeah, I've said this before about Nunes, and I'm going to reiterate it here to make this point. The number of women who just lock up when Amanda Nunes hits them is very, very high. They just have never felt power. They're not used to taking physical damage. Or if they are, it's more kind of accumulative. They're not used to just getting bombed on. And one of the things Pena did very, very well in their first fight was she maintained her composure in the face of physical adversity, which is a big thing to be able to do. She did the same here. Now, she couldn't adjust to anything that Nunes did. She couldn't adapt her game plan. All she was doing was trying to goad Nunes back into a brawl, and Nunes never obliged her. And when plan A didn't work, Pena did not have plans B, C, D. I mean, the fact that she made a bit of a grappling fight out of it at all down the stretch was more on Amanda Nunes taking her down than on Pena trying in a more concerted way to implement that game plan. So she didn't have a whole lot to offer offensively in that respect. She found some success. She landed some punches. Again, I don't mean to say that she was a pig hostage out there. She just didn't have... She didn't really have a lot of effective offense. She never really deterred Nunes. She only very intermittently put her in anything approximating danger. And this is not me 
puffing up Amanda Nunes. Like, like Nunes is unbeatable or whatnot. This is just how this fight played out. You know, Pena seemed to have an idea of how this fight was going to go, and when it didn't go that way, she didn't have other gears, she didn't have other plans. It was just keep beating your head into that particular brick wall, and her face looked like that at the end of it. She was badly lumped up. She had been, you know, she was cut badly. Uh, she got messed up, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, this never got. Let me say this again to Pena's credit. This never really got to the point where I thought they should not let her out to fight again. If round three had been like round two, I probably would have said her corner should stop it. Uh, but round three, while another unanimous round for Amanda Nunes, was not quite the 10-8 bludgeoning that round two was. She didn't get... I don't think she got dropped again in that round. Uh, she still took damage, but it w she never got really hurt. She never got really dropped. Uh and she always seemed to be in the fight and pursuing victory in a meaningful way. But I never got to the point where I was kind of questioning why isn't her corner stopping this? You know, what are you doing? It never got that bad. I mean, you could have stopped it going into, like, between rounds four and five, if they had waved it off, I wouldn't have, I would not have complained. Uh, but that that's me, and that's... That's a bit more of like taking the boxing mindset to this. Like once you get to a certain point when it's clear you can't win, we shouldn't continue to allow you to take physical abuse. And if you reach that conclusion after round four, I said I don't think it's wrong. And I mean, all she did was take more damage in round five to the tune of a 10-8 on one scorecard. So you could make the argument, but the way Pena carried herself and the way she continued to engage in the fight and continued to have pockets of success. I think it was warranted enough to let her continue, especially with this is the other thing about boxing relative to MMA in this respect. You have a very narrow, this is one of the great things about boxing. Everything is refined to a ridiculous degree because what you're dealing with is utilizing a very, you get a very specific set of weapons and you only get a part of the body to attack. You can't hit below the belt, and you can't hit the back. So you're actually dealing with maybe a quarter of the human body that you can actually make contact. And you can only punch in certain ways. You have to make contact with certain parts of the glove. Allegedly, there's a little bit of, you know, gray area that fighters like to live in with some of those, because you're not, like, Ali was famous for using cuffing punches with make, make contact kind of with the palm. Or, um, what do the karate guys call it? It's, it's probably different depending on who you're uh, on who you're dealing with specifically. Um, in my particular discipline, we call it a call it an ox jaw. Actually, it's using the very point of your uh, the point of your wrist. So, like if you you know um, this would be the not the thumb side but the other side, you get that little bit of like a bony ridge there, kind of at the base of your wrist and kind of hitting with that. And Ali would do that. He would use kind of cuffing strikes that came in and hit with that part of the glove, like. There's a long tradition of, you know, finding little ways to kind of manipulate that. But in theory, you only land in boxing with the front of the gloves. You can't really backfist. You can't backfist. Like, there was the thing with, you know, uh, when Connor fought Floyd. Like, hey, can Connor use the spinning backfist? No. If you could use the spinning backfist in boxing, plenty of people would have been using it throughout the history of boxing. It is against the rules. But there's... Uh, Again, there's a little bit of, like, wiggle room that fighters play around, but you have a very limited... Your, your weapons are very limited. Your targets are very limited. So everything you do is really, really refined. And there's le there's significantly less chance of a comeback in boxing at any given point in time because the skill set is so refined that if you can't win, that becomes apparent pretty darn quickly, actually. MMA has a multiplicity of ways to win. A mul I mean, I've said this before, like, there's a there's a million ways to lose in MMA. It's one of the things that makes, I mean, for credit love, John Jones has a loss on his record. And you can argue whether that should have been a DQ or a no contest, kind of relative to the ruling in the moment. But I'll, I don't, calling it a DQ is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. So, 
you know, even someone as great as John has that loss there. Like, hey, guess what? You know, he, I mean, he did it to himself, but that's still a loss. You know, there are guys, you, know, you can suffer a freak injury. Uh, you just have a really, really off night. You could have a really bad referee's call. You could have a bad judge's call. You know, it, there's a lot of ways to lose. So, and frankly, it's part of the reason that corners don't throw in the towel often enough is not just a belief in the fighter, but in their belief that if X happens, then my fighter can win. And there's not as much sober recognition about the odds of getting of you know, X happening, but that's a larger discussion. Uh, yeah, this was a really good performance out of Nunez, uh, especially down the stretch. I don't know if we'll get a trilogy out of this. Um, let me rephrase. We probably should not get an immediate trilogy out of this. Pena, one, is going to need time to recover. She she got messed up a little bit by this one. I mean, there's going to be some of those. I think at least one of those cuts on her head might need like plastic surgery to deal with rather than just stitching it up. Just a thought. I don't know for sure, but wouldn't surprise me. Uh I think Pena probably has to win another fight before she gets a third a third fight with Nunez. Um, that said, this was a fight that enough people seemed to be entertained by, and you know, I'm not calling it a bad fight at all. But I think there there would be appetite for the third fight if Pena can get another win. I, I don't think you can go straight from this loss to another fight. You know, Pena doesn't have a body of work as champion to warrant it. You'd be leaning heavily on, well, I did beat her once, and the UFC kind of get, uh, and, like, they're not being anyone else to challenge Nunez. Uh, the latter of which of those is probably a bit more of a consideration, all, uh, all things considered, you know, uh, than anything else. But if Pena gets another win, she probably will get another shot at Nunez. That, that would be very, very, that's a very plausible path for her to take. So, again, credit to Pena's toughness because she took a world of abuse uh, and kept on fighting to the bitter end. Uh, Nunez stayed a lot more composed here. Interesting thing to kind of note about this, though. You, again, Nunez got busted up a little bit. I wonder... I'm trying to be careful how I phrase this. I do wonder a little bit at this point in time about how resilient Nunez is to physical damage. Not mentally necessarily, but people get some people just get marked up more than others. And if Nunez is entering a bit of a point in her career where she does get banged up more, uh, that might be something to pay attention to. You know, I mean, GSP would get banged up all the time. Fedor got banged up all the time. Some guys just do. And if if Nunes has kind of become one of those, or if maybe always was, and we just never quite saw it because she was bulldozing so many people, uh, again, it's something that's something to keep in mind going forward. If that was your main event. Nunes reasserts the status quo. She's the double champion again. She is the first ever two-time double champion, I believe. I don't think any other double champs in the UFC have ever gotten one of their belts back. I mean, we only had Daniel Cormier, who didn't uh, reclaim either. McGregor didn't. Uh, we had any others in the UFC? I don't think we have. Uh, forgive me if I'm mistaken about that, but yeah. I, so I think she's the first one. She's the first woman to score three knockdowns in a single round. Uh, yeah, uh, Nunes is probably kind of winding down a little bit. I mean, she's 34, so that's getting up there a little bit. She's also got 27 fights. She's been in the UFC since 2013 and started professionally fighting in 2008. So, that's all you know, That's all going to add up at some point. How soon? Don't know, but uh, something to keep in mind. Uh, yeah. So that was, again, that was your main event. Good fight. A bit one-sided, but carried an entertainment value at pretty much throughout the whole fight. Co-main event. This fight. Uh, this was your fight of the night, actually. And I'm not arguing with it. 
Brandon Moreno defeats Kai Kara France via TKO, body kick, and follow-up punches, 434 of the third. Uh, Moreno was doing good work in the first two rounds. Kept his jab going, was able to avoid most of Kara France's offense. Uh, Kara France was able to land a couple of rights, but he never got a good feel for the uh, the distance and kind of how to draw Moreno out and then counter. Uh, so his success was a bit limited through the first two rounds. But the third round, Carafron seemed to have figured a few things out, actually. He was having his best... He was winning that round up until the end of the... Uh, at least according to me, you know, for whatever my opinion's worth on the matter. But Moreno just kind of... They break out of a... They had an exchange... Carafrance backs up, and Moreno follows him and hits this really nice switch kick, left leg to the, pretty much to the liver, and Moreno was actually circling into it a little bit, and just, uh, not Moreno, excuse me, Carafrance was circling into it, and he just collapsed, and I'm very fortunate in that I've never been kicked that hard in the body, but I've been hit, you know, in the liver thereabouts once or twice, and it sucks. Uh, and if you're as tough as, you know, Kai Kara de France is to get hit there and to just kind of shut off like he did, it's... That was a heck of a kick Moreno landed. He'd been landing body work and body kicks in particular all fight. Like, that was something he seemed to have seen in the tape on Kara France that he could land. He tenderized it and then timed it right, threw the kick, got the toes back, and that means you dig in both with the toe and the ball of the foot, and it's just misery. Um, Moreno's face was a bit banged up by the end of it. Um, his right eye was swelling pretty badly. I mean, like I said, Carafron seemed to figure stuff out in the third and was finding finding his combinations, finding his right-hand entries. Uh, again, really good fight for as long as it lasted. Uh, Moreno punches his ticket for a fourth fight with Davis and Figueredo. Figueredo was cage side. They had a bit of a face-off in the octagon. Figueredo said he wants to do it in Brazil. Cool. Assuming that's available at the moment. Uh, I don't know what the status of Brazil is for travel and group you know, attendance and whatnot. That's, again, I don't know. If it's in play, I would certainly uh, certainly wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, hopefully Kai Kara France can bounce back. He was on a really good run coming into this, but... And had moments here. You know, the first two rounds, while they went to Moreno... We're not blowouts. Kara France was not getting smoked. He just was a little bit behind, and that was catching up. Then he said he kind of figured a few things out in that third round. But you don't mind your P's and Q's with someone who's able to put some damage on you. That'll come back to bite you. And one little lapse, uh, one little read from Moreno and whatnot, and it's all she wrote. Uh, really good fight for as long as it lasted. Uh, thumbs up to both gentlemen. Very much looking forward to the fourth fight between Moreno and Figueredo. Uh, interesting thing to note here, though. I don't know where this came from. Let me preface this with that. But commentary started doing the thing in this this event. We're like, yeah, I think this fight is for the real title. I don't think Davison Figueredo's ever making 125 again. And then Joe Rogan started in with the end. You know, I thought Brandon Moreno won the most recent fight with Figueredo and... I don't know where the decision came all of a sudden on this broadcast. I don't know what Figueredo did to piss off the UFC, but they were there was pretty clearly a bit of pressure being applied by the broadcast and vicariously by, by the UFC brass. They're not pleased with him at the moment for whatever reason. Uh, weird little thing to know. That seemed to just spin up again. That spun it up out of nowhere. I don't recall any real controversy over the third fight between those two when it went to Figueredo. I'm pretty sure I scored it for Figueredo live. I'd have to double check that, but yeah, I I don't recall there being a big outcry about it. I think it was a unanimous decision, even. Um, not saying Moreno performed badly in that fight, but Figueredo winning was the right call. I I don't know where the it wasn't a very controversial decision, but when the UFC wants to kind of take a dump on you, well, they'll find ways. And that, that's not to say that I think Joe Rogan was lying about that. You know, it's entirely possible that he watched that first fight and thought Moreno won. That's I would pretty seriously disagree, but I I say that to say I don't think Joe Rogan is out here say, stating things that he does not believe to be true. Uh, he just holds a very, very minority opinion on that particular fight. 
but you know, there, there was a little bit of that going on. That was that was a bit odd. Um, I don't know exactly what you do with Kai Kara France next. Um, he was on a good run, but Flyweight's a really good division. I'm sure they can find someone for him to fight. He's a really good fighter. So, that was that fight. So your interim Flyweight champion is now Brandon Moreno. He and Figueredo should unify those, hopefully before the end of the year. We'll have to wait and see how that pans out, though. All right, next up, Sergey Pavlovich defeats Derek Lewis via TKO, punches 55 seconds of the first round. No one was happy with this stoppage. Um, Pavlovich came out and just got right after Derek Lewis. Landed a couple of good punches, hurt Lewis. Tried to follow up and didn't quite land all that cleanly, but he kept throwing stuff and eventually he did land a punch that kind of made Lewis drop to his knees and face plant. The ref then then steps in and waves off the action. Lewis immediately stands up and is not happy. Um, look, this is one of those stoppages where hindsight, early, yeah. In real time, completely understandable decision by the referee. Look, if you drop face first the way Derek Lewis drops face first in this fight, that's a pretty good indicator that the fight's over. This might be, you know, the 1% of times when, in hindsight, you could argue, shouldn't have been stopped. But if you look at everything that happened up until that and the way Lewis falls, like, yeah, the ref's going to step in. Most referees would in that in that position. Like, It's unfortunate, but it happens. Um, they might run this back, uh, which, I don't know. Um I wonder about Derek Lewis at this point. I mean, he's had a lot of injuries over his career. He, I mean, he dealt with back injuries for a really long time t uh, as well. He's had losing streaks before, or one before. But, I mean, he's almost at 40 fights. You know, he's been fighting since 2010, so he's 12 years into this. How long has he been in the UFC? Since 14? He'll probably get to 10 years in the UFC, unless he chooses to retire. I think there's enough appetite for him to keep going for another couple of years, at least. But all that stuff adds up, and he's a big guy. And big guys can... Some of that damage and uh, that wear and tear on bigger frames and bigger guys, it adds up sooner than on smaller guys. I mean, that's not always true, but it's kind of a general uh, rule of thumb. So I, I do wonder about him a little bit, um, just a little bit. You're not, I'm not calling for him to retire, but I look at the trajectory. I look at where the division is, and I just wonder a little bit. But uh, he's not calling for him to retire or anything. Uh, j just kind of a general observation there. So I said they might try to run this one back. I wouldn't hate it if they did. Um, but Pavlovich, he had the right idea here. I'll say that for him. He had the right idea. And, look, maybe Lewis could have pulled it out. Maybe Pavlovich gasses himself out. But uh, this was not going his way. 55 seconds. You know, that's not really going to tell the story of how two guys match up. But uh, just as a game plan... Pavlovich did have the right of it, so. They might rematch, they might give Pavlovich somebody else. You know, we've still got to wait for the outcome of, we've got Taitui Vasa and Cyril Gan coming up at the end of the month, at the end of August. So that will still be a thing. We still don't know what's up with the heavyweight title uh, with Francis Ngannou between his injury and his potential contract issues with the UFC. So it's a lot of, lot of uncertainty there. Uh, also at flyweight, our next fight, Alexandre Pantoja defeated Alex Perez via neck crank, 131 of the first. These two gentlemen got after it. Came out right to the middle, started swinging. Pantoja immediately just no respect for Perez. Both men landed punches. He got Perez going backwards. Got a takedown very briefly. Jumped to the back. Got the body triangle. Got the neck crank. And this was a neck crank. Uh cranked really, really hard on it, got the tap, uh, statement from Pantoja. 
Sorry about that. He called for a title shot after the win, and frankly, I... Th Again, the timing's going to be a little bit weird, depending on what happens with Moreno and Figueredo. But Pantoja has a win over Brandon Moreno already. I mean, he had a win over he has a win over Kai Kara France too. The only thing really holding him back, I mean, he's only lost three times in the UFC. He lost to Dustin Ortiz in 2018, Davison Figueredo in 2019, and then Askar Askarov in 2020, and that's it. I mean, that is a you're gonna lose to three guys, you know, current champion. Uh, Ortiz was always a really tough out, and uh, and then you know, you got Askarov, who might still make a legitimate run for the belt. Uh, Moreno and Figueredo being what they are, that's that complicates things. But if Pantoja does get a shot next, I mean, I'm not going to complain. He did everything right here. He came out and he had an exciting fight. He got a finish. He made the right callouts once he got on the microphone. Just uh, he did everything he could. He did everything he could physically. He did everything he could verbally. He made his case. He could not. I said I don't think he could have done anything else to to make the argument that he should get a title shot. Uh, timing dependent. He might have to wait. But I wouldn't object to him getting one. Uh, just straight up. Like, he's on a good run, and he's a really good fighter. And flyweight, flyweight's a division that a lot of people sleep on, but it's pretty darn good. So, And kicking off the main card, uh, very briefly about Alex Perez, I guess. Um, he had, this was his first fight since his loss in the title fight with Davis and Figueredo, so he had about a two-year layoff, uh, which is never good. Um, so hopefully he can be a bit more active going forward. You know, there was a little bit of ring rust going on here, I think, and that contributed to Pantoja's excellent performance. Uh, so hopefully, uh, and hopefully he's able to stay active and healthy. Uh, speaking of active and healthy, Magomedon Kalaev defeated Anthony Smith via TKO punches, 309 of the second. Um... First round for Ankolaev. You know, Smith struggled a little bit to find a lot of meaningful offense. They traded some kicks at long range, but it was a relatively sedate first round. Uh, not to say boring, but it wasn't gangbusters. Uh, Ankolaev won it. But between rounds, Smith mentioned to his corner that his right ankle... Right or left? It was his left. Uh, his left ankle was messed up. And given some of the kicks that went back and forth and the way they clashed on a couple of kicks uh, and some were checked, like there was a lot of kicking going on there. It's entirely feasible that something got tweaked. Second round, Smith forces a clinch pretty early and winds up pulling guard. Or trying to. Like he got to his seat and was trying to pull things over, but Ankolaev had good enough posture to kind of stay upright and he landed punches and just kind of overwhelmed Smith. Uh, the real issue was once once Ankolaev kind of broke the position, Smith rolled to his knees but couldn't really get up. So you know, the referee had to stop it as Ankolaev was still punching him. But uh, Smith afterwards said, "My his left leg is busted, so there's something there. Um, whether that's a, whether that's a legitimate le uh, you know, broken bone or some kind of you know, uh, joint damage to the ankle or the knee or whatnot, I don't know." But there was very clearly some kind of damage that took place there, so hopefully it's nothing serious. Uh, we'll have to wait and see, but for someone like Anthony Smith to wind up in the physical position that he was in, it had to have been... That's not a guy that milks anything like that. Like, he got legitimately hurt there. So, big win for Ankalaev, his first finish in a handful of fights. Uh, he'd gone the distance his last few. Uh, the top of light heavyweight's a little bit weird. You've got Prohotchka saying he wants a rematch with Teixeira. You've got Jan Blahovich saying he wants a shot. You've got Ankolaev here, who has a very strong case meritocratically for a title shot. Uh, frankly, I've, I've said this for a while. I think Ankolaev probably wins the belt. Like, he's that good. He's not always the most exciting fighter in the world. But good luck beating that guy at this point. He is very, very hard to beat. Uh, I... Whoever gets the title shot, I think the other two are going to have to fight. 
So, I think that's just kind of how that's going to shake out at the top of light heavyweight at the moment. But Ankolaev's he's got his eyes on that title, and I like his chances to take it. Uh, that changes. I favor. I would probably pick him over any of the other three, actually. Not always by huge margins. Like that shifts a little bit depending on who we're talking about specifically. But I think he's got a very good chance at he's got a good chance of beating all of all three of those guys. Might still lose on the night, but he's he's really good. A really good fighter. So a speedy recovery to Anthony Smith and watch out for Magomed on Kalaev. So that was your main card. Again, you had kind of the weird injury. You had the early, you had the unsatisfying stoppage, but you had, some, you had a good fight between Moreno and Cara France. You had the good title fight. It was a solid enough main card. As for the prelims, Alex Moreno defeats Matthew Semmelsberger via unanimous decision. 130-27, 229-28. I was a little bit surprised they let Semmelsberger come out for the third round. His left eye was swollen shut. Uh, that That one surprised me a little bit. Uh, they could have stopped that between those rounds, and I wouldn't have complained. Then, of course, Semmelsberger comes out in the third like a house on fire, drops Morono with a, a lented jumping knee, drops him. Can't find the finish. But uh, this was a lot of good footwork out of Morono, a lot of uh, you know jabs, angles on punches, and Semmelsberger really struggling to kind of corral Morono and find offense. Uh, good win for Morono. It, it was a pretty good fight. Uh, the drama at the beginning of the third round really kind of made it. Lightweight. This was fun. Uh, Drew Dober defeats Rafael Alves via uh, body punch, TKO, or KO, uh, 130 of the third round. Um, Alves had the first. Dober had the second. Uh, these two guys went at it. This was, apart from Moreno and Cara France, this was probably your fight of the night. Uh, this was a really good fight. A lot of back and forth action. Yep. Uh, again, Alves getting the first, but fading a little bit in the second. Dober's pressure was up. Dober kept going to the body. Really good body work all fight, leading to the finish. That left hand that he lands to kind of close the show, well-timed, well-placed. Uh, and I think Dober mentioned it. You know, I've got, I've got Terrence uh, Crawford in the crowd telling me to go to the body. I better listen to him. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with Terrence Bud Crawford, maybe the best boxer in the world. Uh, a truly, truly special talent in the world of boxing. And yeah, if, if that guy's giving you advice, I'd listen to him too. He's, he's very good. So solid win for Doberg and very good fight. Maybe the second best fight of the night. Frankly, if fight of the night had gone to this one, I wouldn't have complained. Uh, really good fight. At heavyweight, Hamdi Abdelwahab defeats Dontel Mays via split decision, 29-28. Don't quite get the split here. Um, you had Abdelwahab winning the first and the third. I don't think it's that complicated. Uh, sucks for Mays. He was coming on. like he, he dropped the first round, rebounded well enough in the second, and seemed to be on his way in the third, and then tried a stupid... Like stepping judo toss, like that kind of cross, kind of like jumping, um, I call it jumping Haragoshi. I mean, you'd see, you see some really talented judokas hit it on occasion. Uh, in fact, I think Yoshihiro Akiyama hit Jake Shields with this one a bunch. But it, it's not terribly reliable, and especially on a guy with the wrestling credentials of of Abdel Wahab, he just kind of absorbed the contact and then shoved Maze over and got on top of him and rode out the round. Like, very, very bizarre decision-making from Maze there in that third round. Uh, lightweight, Drakkar Close defeated Hoffa Garcia via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Another good fight here. Uh, solid first round. Who was it? Was Garcia got the first? I, uh, I can't remember exactly, but... Um, yeah, this was a this was just a good kind of stereotypical hard-nosed, pretty fast-paced lightweight fight. Uh, solid stuff from both guys. You know, both guys are very talented fighters. Yeah, that was a fun one. Uh, as for the early prelims, Michael Morales defeated Adam Fugit via TKO punches, 109 of the third. 
Credit to Fugit, he took this on short notice, and he acquitted himself rather well. Uh, he was get he he dropped the first he dropped both of the first two rounds I thought, but in the second, again kind of seemed to be figuring some stuff out. Had a lot more success in the second. Uh, then ultimately was stopped in the third. Uh, pay attention to Michael Morales. Uh, he's undefeated. He's still a, fairly young. But he's got a lot of physical tools. Pay attention to that guy. Uh, your worst fight of the evening. Jocelyn Edwards defeats ji Yun Kim via split decision. 29-28 each way and then a 30-27 for Edwards that I do not understand. Uh, I thought Edwards won. I gave her rounds one and three. I don't understand her getting the second. Uh, Edwards took this on short notice and missed weight. So there's that. Um, just not a very... Not a very good fight. Not a whole lot to talk about there. Uh, light heavyweight Nikolai Negromariano defeated Ihor Poteria. Uh, via TKO, punches, knees, bombed on him against the fence. 333 of the second. Um, oh, sorry. I've mentioned, I forgot to mention this about uh, Abdel Wahab and Mays. Bizarrely entertaining fight for low-level heavyweights. I think I saw um, you know, Grabaka Hitman on Twitter go, this fight has no right being this entertaining. I, I think he hit the nail on the head there. But in that same kind of vein, Negromarianu and Poteria. Um, Negromarianu is a guy, at the moment, he's just kind of sticking with fighting the lower end of light heavyweight. Uh, he's fought, who's he fought in the UFC this far? Oh, um, he lost his debut to Safarbek Safarov. He gassed hard in that fight, too, as I recall. But he's on a four-fight winning streak since, with wins over Alexa Kamer, Ike Villanueva, Kennedy, and Zechiku, and now Ior Poteria. If you keep this guy fighting that level of light heavyweight, he's going to keep doing this. He's good enough to do that. Um, yeah, the finishing sequence here was brutal. Like, he hurt Poteria, got him against the fence, and just right hand, uppercut, left hook, right hand, knee, right hand, left, uppercut, knee, just bombed on him until the ref stopped it. Uh, I don't know what Negromariano's ceiling is. In fact, it might be quite low, even by light heavyweight standards. But he's clearly a step up from this level of opposition. Uh, I'd be curious to see who they match him up with next. You know, four in a row usually signifies a, it's time for a step up. Uh, and kicking uh, everything off, Orion Kosi defeated Mike Mathetha, Blood Diamond, via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Uh, Kosi missed weight for this. He apologized profusely after the fact. His di when asked about it, he said, I've been cutting weight the same way since I was 19, and at this point in my life, that doesn't work anymore. I need to adjust my methodology. Um, that's assuming he's being honest. And I'm going to give him the benefit of that doubt. That's a very real thing. Like, that's one of the reasons I don't have a problem believing him. You can't cut the same way your whole life. Your body changes. Uh, and I don't just mean like sometimes it gets bigger. Like the way your body responds to things changes. Your, you know, uh, the makeup changes. Like it all changes. And if you try to cut weight, you know, in your late 20s, early 30s, the same way you did when you were in your teens... Your body's not going to respond the same way. Your body's not the same. In fact, a giant portion... Eh, don't want to get into the ship of Theseus and the human body discussion. <laughs> a giant portion of the individual pieces that used to make up you back then are no longer you anymore. So, if that's... Again, I, if that's the, the lion's share of what went wrong there, he just needs to correct his methodology. Uh, that, that's fair. Um... Blood Diamond had a decent first round, but he couldn't quite maintain it. Uh, I'm just going to say this about uh, Blood Diamond. I don't think coming to the UFC when he did, did his career any kind of favors. He came in at 3-0. and Now, I know he had some other experience in, like, boxing and kickboxing, but... Uh, the number of people who can come into the UFC with that low an experience level and succeed is very, very small. It's a very small number of people who have been able to make that work for them in any kind of real way. And I don't think him coming into the UFC when he did was necessarily the right move for his development. It might have been the right move for his wallet. The UFC pays better than regional promotions. 
And if you get the opportunity to make more money in a shorter period of time, sometimes that's just the calculus you have to consider. And fair enough, I'll happily acknowledge the real world uh, considerations there. But if we're just talking like what was the best for his career, him career-wise, I think he came to the UFC way too soon. And I think you're seeing that play out. Because he's got ability, but it's not refined. So, uh, yeah, solid enough win for Kosi. Uh, you did it with two guys who were both in their second UFC fight. Like there's a there's a finite amount of uh, knowledge to be gleaned from stuff like that. Anyway, that was UFC 277. My full report, as always, is in the MMAZona411mania.com, so if you want to read my round-by-round live scoring and get clips of finishes and whatnot, it is all up over there. Please do give it a look if you are so inclined. As always, I thank you. All right, let's move on. UFC on ESPN 40 this coming Saturday. That will be August 6th. We are back in the apex, and boy, does it show. Um... Yeesh. Um, your main event. Sorry, this is serving as the finale of The Ultimate Fighter. Bleh. I mean, no one cares. Absolutely no one cares. <laughs> I mean, you, you can tell no one cares because there were heavyweights and women's... Fl- uh, it wasn't women's featherweight, but yeah. Like, no. Um, yeah, I, I, no one cares. No one cares about tough. ESPN pays for it because it's cheap crappy content to fill out their streaming platform and any content is valuable to streaming services whether or not it's actually valuable in any sort of other any sort of other you know, frame of discussion uh, main event Tiago Santos and Jamal Hill believe it or not relevant main event for light heavyweight not title picture relevant but Tiago Santos that poor guy has just not been the same since that fight with John Jones. And that's to be expected. He got his knees destroyed. But he is 1-4 and four in his last five. His only win is over Johnny Walker in one of the weirder fights. You like. If you you just put Johnny Walker and Tiago Santos on paper, it would look... The picture that comes up in your head is nothing like the fight that actually took place in October of last year. Nothing like it. I, I would guarantee it. He's coming off of a loss to Magomed on Kolaev. If he's going to do any kind of career turnaround, he has to win here. He just has to. Unfortunately, he's fighting Jamal Hill, who has only lost once. He had, uh, he had the, he has the no contest in there that he really should have, like, I'm not going to touch too much on that. His only loss is to Paul Craig where Craig was able to get him down pretty quickly and just beat on him from top position. But since then, he's knocked out Jimmy Crute and Johnny Walker, both in the first round. Um, This is a step up for him, and a pretty big one, believe it or not. But I think this is kind of one of those, like, out with the old, in with the new style of fights. Hill's the younger guy. Hill's the one on the come up. Santos is kind of the old guard. I like Hill's chances here. Santos, he's still got power, but he's not the same guy he used to be. A lot of his athleticism is faded. His chin's not quite what it used to be. Uh, he does stance switch. He does go to the body well, but Hill's a big guy. I mean, these are both large gentlemen. Like, Tiago Santos is not a small man. He's 6'2". His reach is 76 inches. He, I mean, he did fight at middleweight for a bit, but... He's a big guy. Then you've got Hill, who's 6'4", and lanky. I, I, just, I like Hill's chances here. Not going to be surprised if Santos wins, but I, I favor Hill here. Uh, we got a pretty good welterweight fight in the co-main event. Uh, Vicente Luque and Jeff Neal, both guys who've been around the top of the division, but who've had some uh, skids at... I mean, poor Luke, man. Luke is a criminally underappreciated fighter. I mean, this is a guy with only three losses during his entire time in the UFC. Sorry, four. And three of those are to Leon Edwards, Stephen Thompson, and Bilal Muhammad. Like, those are guys who were near the top. And in fact, that was Thompson not too far removed from his title run. I, I mean, he didn't win the title, but his run up to the title. 
Luke finishes the vast majority of his fights. He has like the second highest finish percentage in UFC history. Yeah, of his wins, only one is a decision. Uh, he's lost by decision a couple, a few. In fact, all of his losses in the UFC are by decision. But his finish again, his wins, he only went the distance with Mike Perry. Just because Mike Perry is just stupid tough. But Luke coming off of that loss to Bilal Muhammad, Jeff Neal, I had pretty high hopes for at one point. Uh, he had a really nice winning streak going and then lost to Stephen Thompson and Neil Magny back-to-back. It was the Magny fight that was a bit more telling, I think. Uh, I mean, the Thompson fight, his first main event, tougher stylistic matchup, but Magny just... He really struggled to ad- to adjust what he was doing in the Magny fight, and it really showed. He's coming off a win over Santiago Ponzinibbio. Um, what do I like here? This is a tough one. This is a really good. This is a really close fight on paper. I think I'm gonna lean towards Luke, but I'm not sure about that. Like that's a very slight lean. Uh, I sh- I f- almost feel like I should be picking Neil, but I've just I've not loved his form of late. I think the best version of Neil against the best version of Luke, Neil wins. Let me preface it like that. But I don't know if Neil is actually in top form these days. Next up at heavyweight, uh, again, one of the, this would be the heavyweight tough finale. Uh, Zach Papuga against Muhammad Usman. I know nothing of either gentleman. Uh, just going to pick Usman because I am. Um, women's flyweight, Brogan Walker and Juliana Miller. Again, I know nothing of either woman. Um... Brogan Walker, Walker Sanchez, is she married to... Diego Sanchez's wife? Or, not Diego Sanchez. Um, Yeah, no, I'm confusing her with somebody else. Who the heck am I confusing her with? Oh, I know. I'm confusing her with, I think, Gilbert Melendez's wife. Um, so, no, this is a not, not way different fighter, just, sorry, the hyphenated and having the last name similar to another, like, that's all that was. Um, I don't know. Uh, Walker Sanchez has a Wikipedia entry and Juliana Miller does not. That's as good a way as any for me at this point. Uh, also at heavyweight next up, Augusto Sakai and Sergei Spivak. Uh, this might be do or die for Sakai. Like, that guy had a good run at one point, and then he's lost his last three, and he's been finished in all of them. I mean, granted, Overeem, Rosenstreich, and Tuivasa, so... It's a decent level of opposition, but you gotta start winning again, buddy. I mean, on the plus side, you got Spivak. Been a bit up and down in the UFC. I'm going to pick Sakai, and I'm just prepared to feel very, very stupid when he loses and gets booted from the company. And kicking off the main card at flyweight again on the women's side of thing, Ariane Lipsky and Priscilla Cachuea. That sucks. I'm going to pick Cachuea. God help me. Uh, I mean, she's not good. And she shouldn't have won her last fight. Like, that fight with ji Yun Kim that she got a decision. Like, that was a load of crap. It was an absolute load of crap. I don't know who likes Priscilla Cashway in the UFC, but... And she's probably going to win here because Ariane Lipsky is just not all that good. Yeah. Sure. Uh, On the prelims! Oh, God, why? Sam Alvey. (laughs) Oh, Sam Alvey. Uh, Sam Alvey and Mikhail Oleksijic. I'm just not at the point where I pick Sam Alvey to win fights. Okay. Look. People. I don't know who did this. But to whatever idiot went on Sam Alvey's Wikipedia entry and changed his last however many fights, changed his last like nine fights to wins... 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, now, I'm going to have to go fix this. You understand something? Now that I know you've done this, I have to go fix it. Ugh. Do it after I record. Go to a more credible website, I suppose, for his actual... Because I think he's on like a five or six fight losing streak. It's something ridiculous. Uh, let's have a look here. At Senior Alvi. Yeah, he is officially 33 and 17. And, yeah, has not won a fight since he fought John Volante in 2018. So I'm going to have to fix this. Thanks for that. I had to do this with, um, what I have to do this with? I'm going to do this with, like, Nick Diaz at one point, too. There were a couple of fights that he lost that some joker went on and edited on Wiki to be like, no, he won that fight because... Diaz. Um, this I at least appreciate the irony. Like, that's kind of funny. But, uh... <laughs> uh, no. No. Can't pick Sam Alvey to win a fight at this point. I mean, and Oleg Sajic's not a bad fight. It's going to be the loss to Dustin Jacoby. But Oleg Sajic's actually decent. Uh, they're back down at middleweight for this. Yeah, I can't pick Sam Alvey to win a fight. Stupid. Watch him win this, but... And to be clear, let me also say this. I will not be surprised if he wins, because Oleg Sejic is a very aggressive fighter in a lot of respects, and that's what Alvi wants you to be. But I'm I'm not picking Sam Alvi to win. Uh, welterweight, Takashi Sato defeated Bri uh, versus Brian Battle defeated. Um, Sato's on a bit of a rough stretch. One and three in his last four. They're trying to prop Battle up a little bit. He's one of those. He won a season of the Ultimate Fighter. I'll probably pick Battle here, actually, but uh, you know, it's a little bit of kid gloves. Little bit of kid gloves. Lightweight Terence McKinney and Eric Gonzalez. Uh, that's not. That's not actually a bad fight. McKinney's coming off of a loss to Drew Dober, but he'd won two in a row in the UFC before. He had, like, a five-fight winning streak overall. I'm probably going to pick McKinney there, but that's a pretty good fight. Uh, welterweight Jason Witts and, uh, Witt rather, and Josh Quinlan. Witt has been trading wins and losses in the UFC. Quinlan's fought in the UFC before. He's undefeated. No, he's not fought in the UFC. Why do I know his name? Oh, oh, Contender. Right, Contender Series. Um, I'm going to lean towards Wit, but... Eh. Flip a coin. Women's strawweight, Miranda Granger and Corey McKenna. Granger is on a two-fight losing streak. I believe McKenna is one in one in the UFC, one in two. Uh, one in one. Eh, I'll lean towards McKenna, I guess, but that's a lean, and I don't feel confident in that whatsoever. And kicking everything off at women's bantamweight, Maria Bueno Silva and Stephanie Egger. Uh, Egger's on a two-fight winning streak. Bueno Silva. I'm going to go with Egger here. Uh, Egger's pretty good. So, and Bueno Silva just kind of takes up space on the roster. But that will take place Saturday, so come by, say hello. I will be in the MMA zone of 411mania.com per usual, so... Appreciate that, as always. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Change to the rules, actually, was presented to the relevant... I have to wait to see if different states adopt this, mind you, but... 
there's the board of like the uh, the American Boxing Commissions, and they're the ones that get presented, and then that like that get voted on by representatives from all the individual commissions. But then you have to get the process of changing whatever the process happens to be for each individual state. It's why when they changed the rules a few years ago, different states adopted it, different states didn't. Ugh, it's a pain in the butt, and it really shouldn't be this complicated. Uh, the presented changes were twofold. One, they voted to, they approved giving fighters who suffer an eye poke five minutes to recover. This has not been the official ruling up until this point. Uh, it's been kind of unofficially what people have been doing, but uh, you're supposed to get, if you get poked in the eye, the doctor checks it. If you can see, you continue. If you can't, you don't. And whatever point, uh, whatever penalty the referee chooses to assign to the uh, offending fighter as well. But now you're going to get five minutes to recover, like you do with a groin strike. That just seems like a better way to handle this, to be candid. So there's that. They also approved the use of neoprene wraps for the knees and ankles, provided they do not contain other padding, any other things like padding, Velcro, etc. So, different, this has been a thing where different commissions would allow knee sleeves or ankle wraps to varying degrees, and some didn't. I, I think they made a fair ruling here. Look, you don't want to, what you don't want is for people to be able to load up, you know, your knees or your ankles with extra padding. Uh, that kind of thing can be health can be a health hazard. You don't want uh, certain materials used. Again, health hazard. But having an agreed upon like uh, material and agreed upon uh, style of you know, knee sleeves or ankle wraps or whatnot, like fighters being able to support their knees and ankles in the cage, I I am all in favor of. You know, we've had a couple of fights recently where fighters suffered knee injuries that I'm not saying that. They wouldn't have happened absent if the knee wraps had been available. They might have still happened. It's not a. It is not a the balm of Gilead. It's not some kind of panacea, but it helps. So, appreciate that change. Now we just have to wait to see which individual you know athletic commissions choose to go along with this. Who the heck knows? But for whatever my opinion is worth, I think both of those rule changes are. Better on paper, we'll see how they play out in practice, but I, I don't object to either of those alterations. All right, that's... Oh, last thing to mention about UFC 277. I apologize, I forgot this. Uh, once again, they did not make public the winners of the Crypto.com fan bonus doohickey. Uh, the, the popularity contest that they've started doing. Don't know why they haven't made that public, but they haven't, so I'm going to keep mentioning that. A uh, little bit shady. A little bit shady. Just saying. Alright, that's all I've got at the moment, so let me check Twitter one more time, see if anything crazy has happened in the MMA world, and if not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Nope, doesn't look like it. So, plugs. Uh, let's see, the usual spate of coverage, professional wrestling-wise. That's AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW if they release anything on Thursday, and WWE SmackDown on Friday. I have a podcast, Damn You Hollywood, this week. We are back in action. Mark Radulich was on vacation last week, and, well, there wasn't really anything worth talking about. Uh, this week, we will be reviewing another movie not terribly much worth talking about. <laughs> But we're reviewing it anyway, um, the DC League of Super Pets movie. Yeah, so we'll review that on Damn You Hollywood on Tuesday. Hope you will listen, and of course the UFC event on Saturday. The boys this week? Hang on. Now I have to check my calendar. It might be we're doing the boys on Wednesday of this week as well, and if so, I wish... Yes, it is. Uh, on TV Party tonight, we will be reviewing The Boys Season 3 this Wednesday. That will be myself, Mark, and uh, Jesse Starcher. We will be talking, again, the third season of the Amazon Prime streaming service, The Boys. Uh, I enjoyed the heck out of the season, so we'll be talking about it. We have enjoyed The Boys. We've enjoyed talking about The Boys, so tune in for that. That'll be a... That'll be a good one. 
right, I think. Yeah, that's all I've got for this week. So thank you very, very much. We will be back here next week uh, to review UFC on ESPN 40 and preview UFC on ESPN 41. That will be coming your way uh, August 13th from San Diego, California. Headlined by Marlon Vera and Dominic Cruz. It's a very good fight. What else do we have on that card? Uh, okay, not much. Yeah, that's kind of a one-fight card. Uh, just call on that like I see it. Uh, Alexa Grosso and Viviani Araujo is not a bad fight. Um, especially if Grosso can get a win, that might get her a title shot. Maybe four in a row. You can make the argument. And she hasn't fought Valentina yet, so... Uh, yeah. But, other than that, yeah, that's... That's not jumping off the page at me, on paper. But, Cruz and Vera, darn good fight. Not a bad thing to say about that fight at all. Alright. That's it. Thank you again. See you next week. Until then, as always, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.